Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. About 10 years ago, I was attending this youth ministry conference in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta is a huge city. There's a lot to it. And this youth ministry conference had probably about 12,000 people there. And I was so excited, myself and my team, and some of my friends went to this conference. And at this conference, we were going to hear the best worship leaders around. We were going to hear the most cutting-edge, amazing speakers in both youth ministry and what's happening in the church. I was so excited to get there. And so we get down there, we drive, and as I'm processing, I'm like, man, how can I learn and grow at this conference and learn how to speak to the next generation? As a Gen Xer, we all know the millennials are very hard to talk about. I had no idea what I was doing, so I wanted to learn. How do I be a great pastor to the next generation? And while I was there, we're, we're walking, there were all these thousands of people were converging on this conference center. And one of the coolest things about this conference is that when we were walking by, everybody received backpacks at part of the swag. We got all this cool swag at the conference. We got these backpacks. In fact, it is this backpack right here that we received. It's black, it's gray, and it had orange. Now, the orange has faded a little bit, but we would all rock around with these backpacks. So you would see thousands of people walking the streets of Atlanta with these backpacks, just walking around and going to this conference. And when the conference was beginning, it was just like a sea of these backpacks all walking, exciting and chattering. We're walking right by the Turner Broadcast Tower, CNN, down in Atlanta, Georgia. One of the things that I didn't know when I went on this youth conference is that Atlanta has a really, really high homeless population. In fact, they have one of the highest at the time, and because of the, the atmosphere, because of the temperatures, a good place to live. It wasn't too cold most of the time. It was decent weather. And so we stayed in a place where we had to walk to the conference. We didn't have to drive. And there were homeless people everywhere. Everywhere. And we would walk. I started to notice a pattern. As we're walking, all of these people for this amazing youth ministry conference to hear the best speakers and the best worship people walked on the opposite side of the homeless people. In fact, they didn't talk to them. They ignored them, put their heads down and walked by, didn't say anything, just kept going by. And as we're walking, and they were begging, and they're asking for money, and they're saying things, and everybody just put their backpack on and shuffled in to go hear the best worship and the best speakers in the world. And it started to chew on me. Something wasn't right. I walked by with them, and I would stop and say something, and but to be honest with you, man, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I said, guys, we got to do something, man. This is ridiculous. Like, I cannot with good conscience walk by these people every day and then go sing songs. So I said, let's go to McDonald's, at least buy some gift cards or something to help some people out and, and do something. So we did. Got some gift cards, you know, we're walking by and people ask, like, hey, man, you hungry? Can I get you something to eat? And there's a McDonald's right there in the area, like, oh, man, I appreciate that. Thank you. Some said, no, I'm good. I'm okay, I don't need anything. But we, we walked, and 
I went to the conference, and I sat there listening, and I'm like, man, something isn't right. Why am I sitting in this auditorium of 12,000 people listening, laughing, telling stories, learning, and there's nothing wrong with that. While those people are outside hungry and lonely, and I'm here for a conference. So I went back that next day, and I said, guys, I just can't do this anymore. I can't go to this church thing, man. Like, we got to do something. So I talked to the guys, and they're like, we're in. So we emptied out these backpacks. We had all, I mean, it was full of, like, T-shirts and books and all the coolest youth ministry stuff there was out there. After my backpack, we went to the store, and we just made as many sandwiches as we could. And we dumped that cool conference and just walked the streets for a day. And as we walked the streets, we're there just to talk with people, hang out with them, hear their stories, share, ask questions, live life. And we thought we'd go out for a couple of hours, and then we'd come back and, and then go to the conference at night. We stayed the entire day, past dark, which we were warned not to do. It's a high crime rate in this area. It's dangerous. You shouldn't be out there at night. And it, there was danger involved. I get that. But what I found is that the people out there were literally the same people as me. There were people out there who had master's degrees, who came from overseas and have no family, and they're just trying anything, but they can't get a job because they don't have a phone number and address. They don't know what to do, and they're trying so hard to make it. And I'm finding these amazing musicians who, who didn't make it in the music scene, but they were some of the most talented people I've ever heard in my life play music right there on the streets. I found people who were so hungry that they, were, they would take leftovers from me. Do you have anything to eat? And so my, with my backpack full of lunches, we ran out. We had to go back again. We had to fill them again. There just wasn't enough. And there was a local shelter there that did help. And the shelter would help the homeless people. Uh, they, they would uh, invite them in for meals. But something I noticed strange when I started to talk with people, because we wanted to invite people to relationship and conversation too, and people started quoting Bible verses at us all the time. Maybe because we stuck out because of these stupid backpacks. I don't know. But they quote Bible verses. And these Bible verses that they were quoting were random, like just random psalms. They're all over the place. It didn't really make sense. And I said, hey, man, can I just ask you a question? Why are you, why are you quoting Bible verses with, to me? Like, what's your deal? And I'll never forget what he said. One guy said, well, you're obviously a Christian because you're out here with us. I thought, oh, that's a good thing, all right? So we're known for doing this. I, I go, okay. He goes, but most people won't feed us unless we memorize a Bible verse. And the shelter we go to, we have to sit there and listen to a guy talk and memorize a verse, quote that first verse before they gave us a meal. And all I thought was, that's not my Jesus. It, it literally broke my heart that day. It broke my heart that, that these people who were hungry for food was being manipulated to, to quote something, like do a trick and then we'll feed you. I hated it. I said, brother, you don't have to quote a verse to me, man. Like, I'm out here because I love this Jesus, but brother, let me just give you some food because I love him. And that day changed my life forever in, in a way that was pretty big. I, I've never seen things again in my life the same, ever. First of all, never judge somebody by their situation. 
The stories I heard on the street that day and then for following days were stories that would break your heart. Everybody has a story. Some were one choice caused this. And it made me understand we were all one choice from being homeless. Secondly, some people made terrible choices. Some people were out there because of addiction. And I realized if I was on the street, I would have an addiction problem too because of how much pain they're in every single day. It broke my heart. And so instead of walking by and turning my head down and saying, ah, these people don't exist, they're not worth our time, my heart, Jesus didn't teach me about youth ministry. He taught me about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And from that day forward, I've been on fire in a whole new way. I came home. I'm like, Kristen, we got to sell our house. We're going to go live on the streets with people. We're going to have a full-time like street ministry. He's like, okay, slow down. You have young children. Take a breath. But I will say this. I did not do that. I did not sell our house. But it's changed me. It's changed the way I interact with all people. It changed the way I interact with people who are homeless. It's changed my life forever. And because of that, I'm here today. I mean, do you understand? I stood at the CNN building talking politics with people that you probably wouldn't even talk to, who knew more about politics than I did. I argued with them how the Green Bay Packers are the best football team of all time and they somehow believed in the Falcons. I don't know where they got that from. But we talked football. We talked sports. It was like I was sitting down for a cup of coffee with any one of you. It changed my life forever. Because I saw how much God loves all people. And my ignorant, middle-class, suburban life was torn apart forever. And my heart broke for people. And that heart is driven inside of the core of Mosaic, igniting a movement of love that transforms the community and the world. Way back then, in 2009, God had done a work in my heart that transformed me in ways I can't even still imagine. And this morning, we're digging into the passage, Luke 10, 25 through 37, you just heard. And you hear a very similar story here. Religious people walking by on the opposite side of the street, ignoring others because they're too good for them, because of whatever their situation is. And I want to engage this passage with some different light. We're going to look at it from very different angles. But in this story, Jesus is going to challenge us on two things. First of all, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. This man saying, how do I earn my way there? Jesus shows us he can't. Second of all, God's love has no exclusions. There are no exclusions to God's love. No matter what facet you think, that guy, that gal, that person is removed from God's love, you're completely wrong. Because Jesus in one parable blows up every racial stereotype, religious, in one bomb blows it all out of the water and says, I'm telling you the way of God if you want to be like God, you will love everybody. So as we dig into this passage, we look at what he says here. He says this very simple thing. What do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Now, this man is coming from the prospect of being an expert of the law. He knows the Old Testament. And he puts Jesus in this trap, 
And he's asking, how do I inherit eternal life? What's interesting about this idea is that when you think of the word of inheritance, you don't earn it. How do I inherit? How does God pass on to me eternal life? The word inherit, if you were to get a father has a million dollars, uncle passes away you didn't even know about, you're an instant billionaire. You've done literally nothing to inherit that. And this, all the work of the uncle or the father or the aunt or the family member, you're just in relation. In fact, you did nothing to become part of the family. You just were there, right? You didn't work your way into a family structure. Some family structures have that built into them. Rich family members, you've inherited some money or inherited property. Um, if you inherited uh, any hunting land, please see me after the service. I'd love to talk to you. Like, this is the kind of thing. Inheritance, you didn't earn this thing. But this man says, okay, I understand the law of God. And I'm asking the question, how do I inherit this thing called eternal life? And so Jesus takes us into the context of religion and the trap there. Because religion, saying this, if I have to do certain things to earn God's love, you're missing the story of Jesus. Earning things to earn God, doing things to earn God's love is not how God works. In fact, as we explore this passage more, the more we dig into it, we're going to see that when you work at something, you feel you're owed something. If I am very good, I do good things, I have earned my way to heaven, I was nice, I helped homeless people, I gave to the church, I helped out in schools, and all those wonderful things you do, you start putting together, I've earned my way. So therefore, when you look at Jesus, and they have that great question, if you were to die tonight, you saw Jesus, and you'd say, why should I let you into my heaven? Which it doesn't work that way, but it's just a scenario. And he says that, you would say, well, I've, I've done a lot of great things. I was a really, really good person. I've earned my way in. That's the, that's the trap of a religion. These things equal these things, okay? And Jesus this man's coming from this perspective. I've followed the Old Testament laws. Now you owe me. So how do I get this? Because I want to know, what do you think about how good I am? Now, the problem with this scale, and if you hear a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it. The scale isn't balanced. Your interpretation of how good to get into heaven is going to be different than my interpretation. And so you take all of your good things, take all of your bad things, and you just hope it tips a little bit to the left, little bit, let's hope we get there. Oh, good, I'm into heaven, Jesus. You have to let me in because I was such a good person. What that does in that way of thinking, though maybe you don't think that way, maybe you do, is it erases the power of the cross completely. Because the power of the cross, of what Jesus did when he died, rose again, is now the king coming back. What he did in that moment is he did it all, and you have to humble yourself to say that I can't earn it. I just have to accept that he did it for me. If you believe you earn your goodness or I'm good enough to get in, it eradicates the power of the cross. Because the answer when you reach Jesus, not that this is what happens there. Well, maybe. I don't think it's going to happen, but let's pretend, okay? This is our story for a second. And you stand before him, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? Your answer if you understand the gospel of Christ, is you should not. If you can say you shouldn't, then you understand Christ. But then you get to say, but. 
you promised me. You said, if I trust in you, that because of the work you've done, I get in. I haven't, I haven't earned it. I haven't done anything good enough to get it. It's all because of you, Jesus. It's your promise. That's the answer of the gospel. And it's so simple, but it's so hard because those of us who start to dig in, we want to earn our way in everything we do in life. That which you work for, you earn, you get. You earn, you get. Here is, you can't buy it. You can't work hard enough for it. You can't even be good enough. Guys, I have the same odds of getting into eternity as every single human being ever made. It does not matter that my profession is standing on a stage talking about God. We are all equal. It doesn't matter if you're my homeless friend on the streets who's making terrible choices right now. We are all equal. We all fall at the foot of Jesus Christ and because he did the work, because of the cross. And so when Jesus comes to this point, he says, how do I earn this? What kind of thing? You have this trap of religion. But I struggle with this. I mean, I struggle with it because inside of me, I want to say that somehow I'm doing lots of good things so God likes me. Call it my daddy issues, mommy issues, you know, not being the coolest kid growing up issues. Whatever it is, I want to earn my way in. Why? Because then I say I did it. And if I say I did it, then I get to puff my chest, and now it's all about me. And I get to strut around and say, it's all because I'm a good guy. I'm so good. Oh, my gosh. You guys aren't good, but I'm way better than you are. And that's not the gospel of Jesus. But I struggle. Because I've learned in my life, if you want something, you have to work for it. And that's a very good thing, right? I'm not saying, hey, good work ethics in here. I'm with you. Bad work ethics get better. I get it, okay? But we, this is not how Jesus works. Because it first starts with the cross, and then it turns to my life is Christ's. And as my life is Christ, I do it because I love him. I'm on the stage because I love him. I'm singing those songs because I love him. I, don't, I can't earn my way. There's no songs enough to sing to earn my way. And I just love this Jesus. It's my joy to give my life for him. When I was on the streets of Atlanta with this stupid backpack, this backpack became to me a symbol of failure. This backpack broke my heart because there were so many religious experts walking into an auditorium, walking on the other side, not understanding what Jesus really calls us to. Now, I'm not judging those brothers and sisters. I'm not saying this could just have been my story for my time in Atlanta, Georgia. But for me, it was a symbol of my failure because I had been that person for so long in my life. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and this is the message. If you haven't heard of the message before, it's like a paraphrase of the scriptures. I love this, how it says this. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we've done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. The expert here in this is trying to trap Jesus but didn't understand in his trap, he had trapped himself. And so he goes on and he asks in verse 26, okay, you, you say this to me and Jesus asks the question, well, what do you think? And he says, well, it's simple. You need to 
love God and love your neighbor. And so what he's doing in this passage is quoting two very popular verses in the Jewish culture, Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. This is something that they would recite all of the time. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Leviticus 19.18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. And so in these specific commands, the whole law is brought together with the idea of love. So this man's coming into this situation religiously, and he says, okay, I'm going to recite this back to you, because Jesus knew these passages. I'm going to recite back to you Deuteronomy Leviticus. We recite this all the time, and it says this, love. Thematically, love is the key. And in verse 28 in Luke, Jesus says, ah, you are absolutely right. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have, and love your neighbors yourself. But here's the problem. You can't do it. Are you, can you honestly love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind? Come on, you're not even doing it right now. You're not. And do you really love your neighbor as yourself to its fullest extent? Are you completely giving every resource you have away to everybody else? You're not. And I'm not even close to doing those things. I'm still selfish. I'm still all about me. I'm still trying to earn favor with people. I still have issues. So he says, you're absolutely right. you got to do this stuff. And so in this context of showing how this is impossible, Jesus tells this amazing parable. And so this parable he's about to share. And then the man asks, well, who is my neighbor? He goes, listen to this. In reply, Jesus says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came and where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey which means he walked, brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. On the side of a road, Jesus tells a story of an Israelite who was just beat up. He's dying. And first comes across a religious man who knew the law. He comes across and he sees the man and he doesn't want to go near the man because he's unclean. First of all, there is high, high racial tensions between Samaritans and, and the Jewish people. Samaritans were former Jews of the north, of the northern kingdom. The northern income was then taken over by Assyria. For all of you history buffs out there, the Assyrian people came in and they intermingled and a multicultural group of people were born called the Samaritans. The Jewish people believed in the purity of their lineage, that their race is why God likes them. And so the racial tension then became, we just hate those people. They don't even talk to them. They're dirty. They're disgusting. They're unclean. And so they hated the Samaritans. Well, Jesus in the Word is always talking about Samaritans, and he's breaking all these racial structures that were there. There are no exceptions to Jesus' love. And so he tells a story to this expert of the Jewish law, and he uses the Samaritan as the hero of the story. I mean, you just 
Jesus was such an amazing teacher. I wish I had one, one billionth of his insight, man. I mean, what a great way to tell a story. Now I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to put your most hated enemy as the guy who's the hero of the story. So you have this man on the side of the road. The Jewish religious man sees, he looks at him, he's like, nah, man, I'm not dealing with that. He walks by. He's got his backpack on, he's good. Another man walks in, sees the guy, nah, man, I'm not dealing with that, walks by. And then the Samaritan stops. So there is a lot of tension here because this is just a story, but let's make it a movie. In this movie, we see the man lying here and the Samaritan comes up next to him. And let's just say he pauses for a second, thinking of all the ramifications, what would happen. What if I stop? Is someone going to jump me? I mean, what if I touch him? Is this guy going to sue me? What if I, I mean, what's going to happen if I go help this guy? Like, let's just pretend his mind is spinning. But he sees a man in need. He puts his own needs aside and he walks over to this man. And he starts to take care of him. This man is half dead. And he starts bandaging his wounds. And I looked up, why do they put oil and wine on, on their wounds? I always thought that was interesting. There's lots of different thoughts. But one of the cool things I saw in my research is that they didn't have alcohol and they didn't have you know, any sort of uh, bactine or any sort of disinfectant. So oil was thought to be something that would kill bacteria or the uh, wine would kill bacteria, excuse me, at the alcohol contact. And then the oil would be a covering kind of like the way that we would use a salve or an A&D ointment or something that would kind of cover the area until it could get back. So he takes care of him and he wraps him up and he bandages him. But this man doesn't just simply say, have a great day, brother. Hope you feel better. He takes care of him to the fullest extent. He puts him onto his donkey. This man probably can't walk. Puts him on his donkey. He takes him into town. He takes him into town. He doesn't just drop him off and say, can somebody please take care of this? I'm really late for my son's baseball game. I've got to get to church. We have a great worship time tonight, and I don't have time to help this guy. doesn't say any of those things. He puts his life aside, his time aside. He puts everything aside to help this man. He takes care of him, puts him in there, and he says, take care of everything, and I'll be back. Everything he needs, I'm going to pay for. He didn't only help him, he was radically generous went above and beyond to help an enemy, someone in which they hated each other. And so Jesus tells this scenario, and he he sits down, and so this man is sitting here, the expert of the law, thinking, I can't believe you just told me this story. And so he says, well, who do you think? This guy hates them so much, he doesn't say, well, the Samaritan. He's like, well, the one who had mercy on him, like the nice guy. He won't even say the name Samaritan because he's, he, just got, he just got punked by Jesus, right? He's got punked. And so he's saying that the, well, the, the guy who was nice. Here's the problem with this, guys. I've done this a lot of times in my life. I've, I've walked by needs to get to that service. I've walked by people who are hurting to be able to just keep on my own religious way. I, I've messed up. Since that day in Atlanta, I've messed up a 25 trillion times. And so I fall short of this story of loving God and loving everybody. And in this parable, we see a type of love 
that is so radically different than the type of love that we see in our world today. We all know that our culture is a ticking time bomb of racial, sexual, political tension every day. Aren't you just all waiting for this thing to just blow up sometime? Of how much hatred there is right now in our world about people, about situations, about stories. There's just so much tension. Just watch the news. There's tension, tension, tension all the time. And Jesus tells a story because there was tension in his day too. There was political tension in his day too. There was sexual tension in his day too. There was racial tension in his day too. And he does something so radical. He shows a type of love and says, this is what God's love is like. If you take anything away from this, there's three things. To think about a love that has no exclusions and a love that we can learn about from this parable. First of all, it is really easy to justify why you don't show love to people. It's easy. I've heard it, I've said it, and I've done it. So I'm going to assume that you're in the same nasty, messed up world that I'm in, in my own mind. It's easy. Well, that guy's a jerk. That guy cut me off. That guy needs to get a job. That girl did stuff that, to my daughter, I can never forgive her. That neighbor down the street, his dog's always going on my lawn. I hate that guy. The list can go on and on and on. We start to build a list, and we start to say, these people aren't good enough in my life to show God's love. These people are. We once again build a balancing scale. But Jesus, in his passage, shows us there is Easy ways to justify why, but that's not the way God loves. There is no room for us to not love people the way God did. If you want to follow the way he does, what he says. Next, God's love is not exclusive, so neither is ours. We at Mosaic will unashamedly love anyone and everybody. We just will. And just because I love you doesn't mean I have to agree with you. I don't agree with all of you and the choices that you're making. You probably don't agree with mine. That's okay. We can disagree on things. Love is not an option. Love is because God loves. I care about you. You are valuable to the kingdom of God. You are valuable to me. And so we will love. We will love hurting people. We will love lost people. We will love homeless people. We will love rich people. We will love people who are well-established and doing great in their careers. We will love all races. We will love all backgrounds. Whatever your story is, however you came here, for anybody listening to us on a podcast who's never set foot in here, we love all people. There are no barriers because Jesus didn't have one barrier that stopped him from loving somebody. And I, in my faith walk, am done playing the religious game I just can't do it anymore, guys. I'm ready to break through of all these rules of who I can and can't love, who's good, who's not. I just want to be like my master, and my master was on the streets loving everybody. And as my master's on the streets loving everybody, and he's out there pouring love, he didn't agree with everybody. In fact, he would say, hey, I love you so much. You should probably stop doing that. That's not the way of God. Because love also says hard things. Love challenges. It's not loving to see you killing yourself and me not to say, brother or sister, please stop. That's hurting you. 
But understand this, before that even comes into a conversation, you got to know I love you. And love takes time, love takes trust. And so when we say we're igniting a movement of radical love that transforms the community and the world, that's our vision. This isn't just a bunch of words on a piece of paper. I bleed this, and my team bleeds this, and we as a church bleed this. We're going to do things. We're going to go places. We're going to help people. You may not agree all the time. That's okay. Just know our hearts is that we deeply love all people, and we want the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want the master to be in their lives, and that's why we do it. Because when people come in contact with this Jesus, lives are changed. Finally, love requires doing something. There's absolutely no way you can sit by and say you love somebody and not do anything about it. In 1 John 3.18, we heard this earlier in the series, but I want to remind you, it says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. There's so many people who are hurting, needy, right in your neighborhood, in our community, in Hartford, in Washington County, in Southeast Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, in America. Take your pick. Just do something. Please, for the sake of the king, do something. All of, I do a lot of the reading, and I don't know if you're into reading what's happening on church culture and all that sort of stuff, but people are leaving the church not because they're leaving the thought of a Savior who loves them and cares for them and is there to save them. They're leaving a group of people who come and sing a bunch of songs and talk, and they wear backpacks. That's why they stop going to church. What's transforming the world is Kanye West. If you don't know who Kanye West is, he is an eccentric rapper who's been in the news for years. He has done some crazy stuff. He got on stage with Taylor Swift and like was taking her award away, and He's been all over the place. And Kanye West most recently gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I'm reading all the blogs. Is Kanye really saved? Did Kanye really give his life to Christ? How can someone so bad now be so good? And I'm reading this, and all I think is backpacks. Jesus Christ loves Kanye West way more than any of us do. And now that man is out talking about God on TV, on television, and he dropped a brand new disc that's all about the gospel. I listened to him like, dang, boy, get some. He is like seriously telling the message of Christ. And then he's on national news saying, I love Jesus Christ. I don't care if you care. Thousands are coming to Christ because a man transformed his life. And he is just out loving. He is doing something about it. If we really believe Jesus saves, we do something about it. So I'm going to give you three quick things you can do as I close up. My heart, my heart is homeless. My heart is people, but my heart, man, my heart is just for homeless. And from that day forward, it's just been a squishy pot in my, part in my heart. And so here are three simple things you can do right now. Number one, when you see somebody on the side of the road asking for money, I'm asking that you stop. Look them in the eye and give them something. Now, I know what you're thinking. What if this person's going to go do this or do that and do that, whatever? And I used to think that way too. And I said, you know what? This is not for me to decide what they do with it. This is a gift from the Lord God himself. I'm going to trust God's going to do what he wants with it. I'm not saying you just shyly give the respect to our brothers and sisters who are on the street and let God deal with it. It's a simple thing. 
Yes, some people are going to waste your dollar. Some people are not. But you've given gifts to a lot of people that they've wasted and have not done good things with it. What's a dollar or a $5 bill to give somebody something to eat? It's simple. Secondly, I challenge to always keep fast food, always keep local grocery stores, always keep some gift card of a pharmacy that's in the area, and when someone's in need, just ask them if they could use something. Now, these people don't have a door to shut on you, right? They can't like, if I go to your house, I knock. You don't want to talk to me. You shut the front door. My homeless friends, they don't have a door to shut. So ask to be invited into their environment because maybe they don't want to talk to you. That's a fact too. I don't want to talk to you. But ask the simple question, hey, do you have anything, any needs right now? Yeah, actually, yeah, I could use some. Fill in the blank. Excellent. Here's a card, man. I want you to be able to get what you need. A simple $5 gift card in your car, in your pocket, for those opportunities is an opportunity to love like Jesus does, right then and there. Finally, this can happen literally right now. When there's a need in our community, in Washington County, in your schools, be the first to respond. In Slinger, we've had multiple tragedies happen recently in which families, uh, most recently a young family lost a parent, we are the first to respond. You are the first to respond. It is not the pastor's job to do these things. It's not the church organization. Our job is to ignite a movement in love of you so that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, creating movements everywhere that you go because you can reach places I can't reach from a stage. You have relationships I don't have. But when you respond, when you are the first one in, if you haven't done this and you haven't moved your faith before, I'm going to tell you what happens. They ask the question, what is your deal? Or in a nicer way, why are you here? Or why did you respond? It happened to me two weeks ago. I said, I just really love this Jesus, man. Like, I just really do. I just really do. It's not about the faith religion part. It's about being the fact I love Jesus so much, I now live out my faith and my beliefs and my structure or my religion, I live it out because I love first. And this man, as he sat there listening to Jesus talk, he was conflicted. This expert knew everything there was to know about God. He knew all the rules. He knew all the structures. Yet Jesus breaks this whole thing. If you want to inherit eternal life, go and love everybody the way that I love them and love God the way that I love them, oh, I guess you're good. And no one can meet that measure, which means this. We fall at the foot of Jesus Christ at the cross. The cross is the only hope I have. The only hope I have is that because Christ died for me, I have hope to breathe, to wake up. The reason why I'm here, I am so obsessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the only hope I have that I fall there and every song, every day, I am thankful for what the cross does for me. I'm thankful for the sins I'm about to commit as soon as I walk off the stage and go home are already forgiven. You ever thought about that? I can't earn my way in. Christ already did the work. And our job is to love him and go do the same. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. 
for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.